0: Today, we're talking about Chuck season four, episode 11 Chuck versus the balcony.
1: It seems like just the other day, our, our little Chuck was standing on balconies and in, in hotels in Los Angeles, and he was in his underpants, and he was was offending and scaring that that one couple that was trying to enjoy their honeymoon but now he's he's getting engaged he's a man he's wearing a suit and he's in europe and he's gonna propose he's so beautiful (laughs) they grow up so fast It's Chuck Time all around the world. Chuck Time for all the boys and girls. Chuck Time! Hello. You're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. That was a new song that I've written. Uh, it's called It's Chuck Time, parentheses, all around the world. My name <laughs> is Chris Gillespie.
0: My name is Aron That's a great song, Chris.
1: Did you like my song?
0: Yeah, I really did. I was I was trying to figure out if, like which... Uh, you two or white stripe song you are parodying and it doesn't seem like either
1: it's not it's an original composition um i started singing it to myself yesterday when i went to sit down to to watch this episode of chuck uh i was singing to myself i was wearing my bathrobe had my little tea and i was just just kind of singing and uh that's a really
0: heartwarming image image
1: (laughs) yeah i was just getting excited for chuck time ready to share it with all the boys and girls out there uh, this is Go Chuck Yourself. This is the podcast where we talk about Chuck. We go through episode by episode and you are joining us at a very exciting time because it is episode 11 of season four. Thank you for being here. Uh, this episode, a lot happens. It's a it's a big one.
0: Are you making it's like a 411 reference?
1: A 411 reference?
0: Well, I was like, why is 4-11 so important? And then I thought about when I used to call information... Using four dash four four one one uh-huh and uh, get phone numbers of like the phone numbers that I needed.
1: What was it like growing up in the uh, 1970s, s <laughs> There's no special meaning between four and eleven. I was just being uh, hyperbolic as I am want well to this information
0: this this episode does give us information.
1: We have a lot of information. i've yes. seen I've seen the notes. I can confirm that there is a lot of information that we're about to give <laughs> in this particular episode. Uh one could say that it, this is a uh we this episode was put into the the wine cellar and we're about to uncork it right now. We're enjoying ah. a uh uh 2010 uh <laughs> Chuck Chuck Cabaret, I guess. I trying to think of something yep. that rhymes with that. Uh I guess two buck chuck would make more sense as is a little Yeah, they to. do
0: they do reference two buck chuck in this episode.
1: Is that specifically a Trader Joe's only thing?
0: Um, I don't. I uh, let's. let's I've never had it.
1: it. I've never encountered it, so I'm not positive. Um,
0: I've no. It's Charles Shaw is who it refers to. Um, it's not specific to Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's does have several of them. Trader, oh, maybe it is specific to Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's Charles Shaw wines, also known as two buck chuck, are notoriously inexpensive.
1: Notoriously.
0: Notoriously.
1: Have you ever had it?
0: I feel like I have. I have I definitely like you had must like, have. really cheap Trader Joe's wine. Um, I feel like I definitely have.
1: That sounds like it fits the bill. Yeah. Um, so we are not wine connoisseurs by any means, but we are packing our bags and going to France this week for Chuck versus the balcony.
0: Have you ever done a wine tasting? I've done I've done two. Um, one here in L.A. and then one in the uh, vineyards of uh, Long Island.
1: Oh,
0: I also um, went to dinner. My uh, a family friend is a uh, is the editor in chief of Wine Spectator magazine. So I once went out to dinner with him and he gave me the lowdown on wines. So uh, you spoke too soon when you said that we were not wine experts here on Go check Yourself.
1: Okay, uh, I'd like to issue a correction. I alone am the uncultured <laughs> swine here. Aaron is actually very well informed about all things wine. So if you have any questions about wine, please direct them to yes, Aaron. Yes, definitely. Well, Aaron, now that you've put me down for being the low class hillbilly that I am, uh, would you like to start the episode of Chuck? I would love to. Thank you. So
0: the episode starts off in a vineyard. An agent is running through the uh, vines of the vineyard with a briefcase, while men with bloodhounds chase him down. He eventually gets into a wine cellar and pulls a syringe gun out of his briefcase. He's going to shoot it into his arm, but then he selects a bottle of wine and shoots it through the cork instead. We see a microchip shoot into the wine, then the agent gets shot by a gun. Uh, The presumable bad guys open his briefcase and see their syringe is now gone. Actually, it's like a few inches away under a shelf, and I feel like they could have found it if they really looked, but anyway, (laughs) the agent is dead and the chip is in some wine. We move on to Chuck, who is nervously drinking wine in a restaurant in Los Angeles. Sarah isn't clued into the fact that this is probably proposal-related, but we are. Sarah asks what's wrong. Chuck says she spent a lot of time worrying about the things he couldn't control, like his mom and Volkoff and the Intersect, instead of things he could, like his girlfriend. Just kidding, he says, like tonight. But it is kind of weird phrasing. I don't know why he talks about (laughs) control. It's weird. Uh, He literally has the ring in his hand when Sarah relays a story about her dad's nightmare proposal to her mom in in a similar restaurant to the one Chuck and Sarah are in where everything went wrong and literally caught on fire. Chuck puts away the ring and runs off to cancel the champagne he ordered and the string quartet, and the horse-drawn carriage, and the balloons, which Morgan is outside holding. Luckily for Chuck, when he gets back to the table, Sarah says Beckman called and they have a mission, so Chuck gets her out of there before she realizes anything is amiss. I want to drop in here with a regular segment of My Boyfriend Was In The Room and Had Some Comments. Um, Seth says that Chuck's hair looks like Norman Osborn's hair. I don't know. (laughs) I pointed out that um, I have commonly heard the opinion that Chuck's hair gets better as the show goes along,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: uh, Seth did not agree. Um, and yeah. actually, I don't know if I agree either. Like every time I see his like shaggy haircut in the opening credits, I get I get a little uh, warm warm feeling in my heart. It's mm-hmm. I I don't know if I describe it as Norman Osborn hair, but it is uh, much shorter and more typical of like a Hollywood leading man at this point. So you know, yeah, to he- think about.
1: I mean as he the character evolves from man child to adult, his hair gets shorter, yeah. uh so I guess, yeah, I mean, I kind of you kind of miss the the old haircut because that's kind of I feel like synonymous with the show and then he mm-hmm. has the short hair and it's kind mm-hmm. of like he looks good. I think it definitely is objectively a better look, but uh-huh. it's kind of like you said that there's the nostalgia attached yeah. to the other one.
0: Seth also wanted to point out that Beckman has a cushy gig both in the show and as an actress. She does. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about it before.
1: I wonder if it's lonely for her, though, like filming all of those, like those her her things like by herself. I wonder if she's like always by herself when they're filming Beckman on yeah, the that's TV. A good like question. if she's just addressing the camera.
0: Yeah. I always kind of wonder, like, if they have like the other actors like off screen, like to play off of or if she's literally just saying her lines to like no one. She's
1: probably saying her lines to someone who's probably holding the script. Yeah, and like a, the lines. Like a DA
0: or something. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense.
1: It is a cushy gig because she just gets to go in and gets to do that. But I imagine I, creatively, it's probably not very fulfilling for her.
0: I wonder if she does all her scenes for every episode, like, or not, I obviously not every episode, but if she does like a good chunk of the season, like it can't take too long to film that kind of thing. So I wonder if she does like multiple briefings and debriefings at once. That must be yeah. If she,
1: if she films like an entire or like half a season all at yeah. once because they have the set. That, w- yeah. that would make sense. I feel like that would be a good use of, of time.
0: Yeah. But must be weird. So, after the credits, we head down to Castle, where Beckman explains um, from her cushy gig what was going on in the vineyard. Apparently, the microchip is also loaded with government secrets or whatever, and an agent in danger can inject it into themselves and then have it extracted once their body is returned to the CIA. Honestly, the CIA has gotta stop doing this with their secrets. Just, like, don't put them out there. I don't, like, it wouldn't be a problem if they didn't keep doing this.
1: We've got all these chips, some of them we're going to put into diamonds, some of them we're going to put into, I guess the CIA didn't put the secret into the diamonds, the Belgian put the secrets into the diamonds, but.
0: You know, they have diamonds, they have this wine, they have the intersect itself, like, (laughs) if they didn't do this, it wouldn't happen, that's all I have to say.
1: That's true, if they kept their secrets better organized, they probably wouldn't keep having all these problems.
0: Yeah. So the agent from the beginning was returned to the CIA, but hadn't injected himself with the chip for some reason. It's kind of unclear. Like, it seems like he was supposed to do that and didn't. I don't know. Uh, Anyway, Beckman is sending Chuck, Sarah, and Casey to a wine tasting at the French Vineyard, where they're going to have to beat some guy named Pierre Melville to locating the chip. Also, Casey has to pose as Chuck's manservant. Chuck asks if Pierre is related to Volkov and Beckman says not every criminal in the world works for Volkov, Chuck. Once Chuck and Casey head out, Sarah calls Beckman back to say that she knows Chuck is stressed out about his mom and she's going to do everything she can to take down Volkov and bring Mary home. Beckman says they have to wait for the right opportunity. Up in the Bymore, Chuck complains to Morgan about his aborted proposal and how he'll never figure out the right way to propose to Sarah. Morgan suggests that Chuck use him and Sarah's time in a beautiful French vineyard to get it done, but Chuck says he'll be too busy working, which is honestly a pretty good call coming from him considering his usual commitment to work stuff. Lester overhears this and laments how everyone is obsessed with marriage lately, so Morgan asks Big Mike to talk to Lester. We have a scene that I'm pretty sure is problematic, but there's so much going on, I'm not even sure where to start. Lester reveals that his parents are forcing him into an arranged marriage. There's a joke where Big Mike assumes Lester is from India when actually he's from Canada. Also, Lester says he's been on three dates that day while at work and rates all of the girls as fours, which Big Mike says amounts to a 12. So, like, a a lot going on. Uh, Apparently, Lester has to marry some woman and his parents are sending her to the Bymore to meet him, which seems like a bad idea, but I don't know. Big Mike suggests that Lester just tell the woman the truth, so Lester says he'll let her down easy. On their mission, Chuck and Sarah are going to have some kind of microchip detectors that they're going to carry around to this wine tasting to try to detect the chip. They're going to have to get close enough to wherever the chip is to find it. As they're about to leave, Morgan sneaks in to tell Chuck that he's planned out the whole proposal submission and tells Chuck to just keep an open mind, watch Sarah for her reaction to different locations, and be ready for anything. In France, Chuck and Sarah are wowed by their romantic and very real views of the French countryside, while Casey is upset to be spending time with what he calls fancy frogs. Chuck takes a moment of free time to call Morgan, surely racking up a huge phone bill, and Morgan reveals that he placed an earpiece and the ring in Chuck's jacket pockets, which I'm not sure how Chuck didn't feel either of them before this point, but uh, he didn't. Chuck worries he won't be able to find the time to propose, with Casey breathing down his neck, and Morgan suggests he get his manservant to manserve, so Chuck puts on what the Amazon subtitles call a French accent, but is very clearly an English accent, and sends Casey on his way to search the cellar. Meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah head upstairs, where they are wowed by another beautiful, very real French view. Sarah pauses to look at this view, and Chuck prepares to take out the ring, Honestly, the only one being a good spy in this episode is Casey, who is located as a signal down in the cellars. Before Chuck and Sarah can get to him, Pierre and his men enter the cellar and they manage to find the syringe gun. One of the men thinks there's blood on the syringe, but Pierre licks it and finds out it's wine. An 86 Chateau Lefranc, to be precise. Casey's tracker beeps to say the signal has gotten weaker, meaning the bottle in question is on the move. Pierre, who is the Frenchest man alive, hears the beep and says someone must be in the cellar with them. Oh no!
1: As Chuck and Sarah hurry downstairs to assist Casey, Chuck's chip detector picks up on the microchip as it makes its way outside. Chuck and Sarah decide to split up Chuck after the wine and Sarah after Casey. Back outside on the patio, Chuck thinks it's going to be easy to find the bottle of wine, but there are a lot of servers walking around, so his chip detector is all jumbled up. Chuck pages Morgan back in Castle for help identifying the 86 Lefranc, and Morgan says it's a peppery pinot with a stable on the label and a stork on the cork. This is a delightful tongue twister, which may or not actually be helpful to Chuck. <laughs> um, I was wondering, I don't know if you had any thoughts about this, but do you think because, you know, the writers of Chuck are, you know, sometimes they they put their coy. They put little hidden meanings into things. Do you think uh-huh. that there is something special about 1986 as a year? Because every character seems to have reverence for it when they say, "Ah, oh, ni- 1986, that was a good year. OK, I think that there's that's tying into anything.
0: Do you have an answer or are you just asking me?
1: I don't have an answer, but I will give you some things that I know are not the truth. OK, Chris Fedak and Josh Schwartz were only 10 in 1986. Um, Zachary Levi was six. So it's not like I don't know, maybe they just really liked when they were 10. I I couldn't think of anything else off the top of my head.
0: Here are some suggestions for me. Um, the Oprah Winfrey show began. <laughs> Haley's Comet occurred. The okay. Phantom of the Opera was released. Yep. Um, the space shuttle, the the space shuttle Challenger, that was an event that occurred. All right. Um, and the uh, Soviet nuclear reactor at Chernobyl explodes.
1: Okay. Great year. So let's go with the comet. I'm sure they must have been really enthused. I'm sure a lot of the Chuck writers are really kind of uh, astronomy nerds, and they're probably really yeah, into. Yeah, that's that's the, it. Haley's comet, definitely. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't come around since then, right? It's like every 70 years. Like It hasn't come around in our lifetimes.
0: Are you asking me to look up Haley's Comet?
1: Yeah, that's simply uh, what next, I'm asking you to do.
0: Next pass. Um, The next time it comes will be 2061. Oh, every boy. 75 years. So uh, let's see if we're going to make it to the next 40 years.
1: <laughs> okay, fingers crossed. Um. So anyhow, that's, I guess, what the reason for 1996. Elsewhere in the Chateau, Sarah is outside the door to the wine cellar and notifies Casey. He tells her that the cellar is crawling with bad guys. So Sarah decides to break the heel off of one of her high heels. She's got one of her classic uh, Sarah Walker disguises. She has a on. magnetic
0: garter. It's, it's kind of cool. I don't know if As, you noticed that. It's it cool. pretty badass. Yeah. I think
1: that would be... That'd be helpful. Yeah. She stumbles into the wine cellar pretending to be drunk and lures Pierre's men into a false sense of security before kicking their asses. Yeah. Sarah creates enough of a diversion for Casey to sneak out from his hiding spot and take out the other two guards. Back on the patio, Chuck continues to search for the 86 LeFranc when he finds the bottle on display on a podium. He runs up to the podium and is distressed to find that the bottle is completely empty. A bunch <gasps> of the party goers standing around give him dirty looks and he tries to play it cool. Apparently, part of playing it cool means talking loudly into your secret spy watch in front of all <laughs> these people that are watching you. Uh, because that's, that's what Chuck does right now. Uh, he notifies Sarah that the microchip is in somebody's glass, and she tells him to find it. They agree to rendezvous later on the balcony. Chuck's detector starts to go off, and it leads him to a gentleman wearing an ascot. Chuck tries to explain that there was a mix-up and that instead of the 86 LeFranc, the man actually received a burgundy from Bordeaux with the coil on the foil and a fork on the cork. The man insists that this is the 86 Lefranc, and he's been waiting for over 20 years to taste this bottle. Back against the wall, Chuck tells the man that there is something in the wine to which the man agrees, except instead of a microchip, this man sees 200 years of French history and the blood and sweat of his ancestors in this glass. He accuses Chuck of being unable to identify real French wine from the aforementioned Two Buck Chuck. Chuck defends Two Buck Chuck, warns the man about being a walking cliché, steals the glass of wine, and runs off.
0: Hell yeah. Go, Chuck.
1: Pierre and his men are drawn to all of this commotion that Chuck is causing and follow him off of the patio. Pierre and his men demand Chuck give him the glass of wine. But Chuck flashes on Kung Fu and starts to fight the men, all without dropping or spilling the glass of wine. Now, this was this was a cool fight scene. I was glad that the intersect was back and he was able to do this kind of thing. I thought it was kind of a, a fun take that Chuck is able to kick this much this much ass all without disturbing a glass of wine but but
0: were you gonna say it sounded like you were setting up for a butt
1: oh um i you just
0: thought it was cool that's all you were saying
1: um yes <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all i wanted to say okay this um, was it's it,
0: it was unnecessarily awkward
1: <laughs> chuck calls morgan again to tell him that he has secured the microchip and morgan asks if the submission is back on... Okay, so the one thing I will say about the wine glass... Okay. I wasn't ready to commit to it, but I think I should point it out. I was confused that... Shouldn't Chuck just drink the wine? Because Beckman makes a point of saying earlier that the, the, the microchip is designed to go inside the human body and then be extracted.
0: Well, so, I would... Could, okay. So do you think that she meant that, like, it could be extracted from, like, a living person? Or do you think that she meant that, like, someone who is dead... Like, in the episode that we saw where someone extracted... um Information from someone using that, like, very painful, um, like, thing to draw, Uh like, the magnet thing. Yeah. Um. Do you think that she meant that it was preferred for the agent to, like, be in serious trouble where they might die so they inserted it into themselves? Or, like, Chuck could just do it?
1: Was not clear.
0: I did also think that he was gonna drink it, to be clear.
1: Okay, because I was like, this is weird. When I would have gotten the glass immediately and drank the wine and be like, we're good, let's go back to the U.S., but, um... Maybe you the the chip could be digested with the stomach acid, but then it's like if you inject it into your your skin or your blood. I don't. Maybe it doesn't go in your blood. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm just the host of a, a Chuck podcast. <laughs> um, so Chuck calls Morgan again to tell him that he has secured the microchip, and Morgan asks if the submission is back on about the proposal. And Chuck says that the submission is so on. As Morgan points out, Chuck and Sarah will be on the balcony in time for sunset. Chuck runs up to the balcony to meet Sarah. He gives her the glass of wine, which she then transfers into a smaller glass glass flask that she then tucks away into her clutch. As they take in the sunset, Sarah says, it's perfect. And Chuck says that he wanted to talk to her about something. When a grappling hook shoots up and wraps around one of the pillars on the balcony, we hear Casey yell down from below, Chuck, Sarah, let's go. Sarah says, it's our ride and rappels down the rope. Pierre runs out just in time to see Chuck and Sarah exit.
0: Could he just not, like shoot at them or, like, get them in any way at this point? Like, just because they're, like, <laughs> farther down the building, he can't get them?
1: His jurisdiction is only the chateau. If they ah, leave the chateau, yes, he can't sense. do anything. Back in Castle, Chuck reflects on the engagement ring alone when, holy shit, General Beckman walks in. Look, <gasps> look alive, Aaron, She's here. Oh, Random inspection.
0: Not a cushy gig anymore.
1: Nope, she's walking around on two legs. She leads Casey and Sarah into Castle and declares that she's decided to debrief the team in person. Leading them into the conference room, Beckman says that the CIA was able to recover the chip and secure all of the national security secrets or or European blueprints or whatever is on these computer chips. Whatever
0: it is, yeah.
1: Uh, Although Team Bartowski's mission was a success, Beckman says that it's not over yet. She's decided that Chuck and Sarah will go back to France to meet with Pierre, pretending to be CIA turncoats who want to sell him the chip back. Except they won't be selling him the real chip. They'll be selling him a fake chip. The fake chip contains a tracking device that will allow the CIA to uncover the home location of the terrorist cell that Pierre is a part of. Beckman says that Chuck and Sarah will be shipping out that night. She then excuses Chuck and Casey in order to talk to Sarah one-on-one. She tells Sarah that since this is a highly sensitive mission, she wants Sarah to be the one to personally give Pierre the chip. Sarah agrees. Meanwhile, in the Biomore, Jeff and Lester and Big Mike are waiting for Jinsana, who is uh, Lester's arranged fiancé. We have a declassified scene where... Lester reminds everybody of the plan. Big Mike is going to shoot Jinsana down and send her back to Canada while Jeff and Lester hide. Jeff starts to play with some kind of head massager, but Lester tells him to put it down because they're going to give it to Jinsana as a consolation prize. We then return to the actual events of the episode as it aired. Jinsana enters, and upon seeing her, Lester, Jeff, and Big Mike realize that she's gorgeous, and Lester decides that he would, in fact, be interested in marrying her, so they need to change their plan. Lester asks Jeff to stop Big Mike while he goes and takes care of his uh, other blossoming
0: relationships. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Jinsana approaches Big Mike and asks for Lester Patel. Big Mike starts to let Jinsana down easily when Jeff runs up and says that Mr. Patel had a scheduling conflict and needs to reschedule for later that day. Jinsana is, uh, is pretty understanding and says that she'll come back later.
0: Again, it's very odd that, like, Lester's family insisted that she go from Canada to L.A. to, specifically to this store. Like, they're not even meeting, like, at a restaurant or at a bar or, like, at Lester's home. They're just meeting him at his job. Um, and also, like, it's, I don't know, it's not really a, a location for Blooming Romance.
1: He spent all that budget on all those, that on-location filming in Paris and, oh, and in France true, yes. and the yes. French Vineyards. They yeah. couldn't afford to build this whole set for, I see, yes. for you know, Lester's apartment. And as far as we know, he could still be living in the van with Jack. That's
0: true, yeah. Maybe the Bymore is the best location for him.
1: In Castle, Morgan tries to cheer Chuck up about the failed proposal. Chuck is pretty downtrodden about the whole thing, but Morgan reminds him that he's been given a second chance, and at this time, Chuck can propose under moonlight. I was about to say that Castle has thin walls, but we know that's not true. What Castle does have is a ton of massive air vents.
0: Yeah! Air ducts!
1: The sound of Morgan and Chuck's conversation echoes through the cavern- cavernous air ducts of Castle to the office where Sarah is working individually. She seems to have heard the entire thing later in the bymore, Jinsana is back and Lester is ready for her. Big Mike brings her back to the home theater room, uh, which has been given a, a very elaborate Canadian slash Hindu slash Jewish makeover. Um complete with ice hockey, poutine, Manischewitz wine, and Indian rugs and pillows.
0: There's also a menorah, a fully lit menorah.
1: It's kind of like an I Spy book. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and uh, Jeff is wearing a sari during all this and playing a sitar. Uh, Jinsana is kind of taken aback by all this, but Lester insists that he really is this traditional. Jinsana is uncomfortable because she says that she's not this traditional, at which point Lester breaks and says that this isn't the real him either. He was just pulling on and putting on an act in order to impress her. Jitsana finds this kind of endearing, and although Jeff keeps playing the sitar, um, suggests that they pencil in a wedding date, I guess that's what she meant, right?
0: I thought that she meant, um, like, he says, I I don't remember exactly the line that he says, but it's something, it seems like she's suggesting, like, they pencil in learning about Lester's personality. I didn't think she was agreeing to marry him then and there.
1: I think that makes more sense. I was kind of like, but, you know, these arranged marriage kind of situations that go fast so that's true not really that informed about it um elsewhere in the store morgan enters his office and is scared to death to find sarah waiting for him in the shadowy corner this is also another beloved chuck gif that i've i've seen before
0: yes i have seen that too
1: he uh throws all his papers up in the air he's relieved that it's just sarah and says that he was scared that she was somebody deadly at which point sarah reminds him that she is somebody deadly which was a badass line that's true Sarah says that she heard everything back in castle and demands to get the full story from Morgan. Morgan asks Sarah if she wants to be surprised, but Sarah points out that she's a spy. So she hates surprises. Morgan apologizes about Sarah's parents proposal. And Sarah bemoans the fact that she told Chuck that story. Morgan reveals that Chuck was planning on proposing at the fancy restaurant and Sarah is pleasantly surprised. Morgan assures Sarah that Chuck is trying to pull off the perfect proposal. Sarah is intrigued by all of this and tells Morgan that she's uh, taking over the proposal mission on behalf of herself and Chuck. She recruits Morgan to be a double agent to help her make the proposal happen.
0: I think like for me personally, this is kind of a bummer because I feel like I do want the surprise Um, in my, like I would not want to be entirely in control, but I feel like for Sarah's character, I guess it does make sense.
1: Later that night in France, Ch- uh, Sarah is standing outside the chateau with, uh, waiting with the briefcase for Pierre while Chuck watches with binoculars from inside the chateau. Chuck suggests that they go for a walk around the vineyard once their mission is over, and Sarah is interested in this but says that she has a funny feeling about the mission. At that point, Morgan calls Sarah for a change and tells her that the proposal is on and that he is banking on a full moon proposal. Sarah tells Morgan to tell her if anything goes wrong. Chuck then calls Morgan and asks Morgan if he thinks that Sarah is acting strangely and if that means that she's onto them, Morgan at this point is at castle. He's wearing two conflicting headsets, I guess one for Sarah and one for Chuck. Uh, and apparently there's no confusion between the two of them ever. I no, on never Morgan, at all. I guess. Yep. Uh, Morgan assures Chuck that everything is fine and tells Chuck to stop playing with the ring box because he can hear Chuck like flipping it, like clicking it and like fiddling with it on the other I end. I feel like that
0: must be very satisfying. Like I've I've never had a ring box of that size, but I feel like it would be kind of fun. The clicking yeah it's like yeah. a fidget spinner but like more expensive
1: it's a good it's got a good seal usually those yeah, boxes yep. like mm-hmm. there's a lot of like there's like 100 like I'm, yeah like
0: the entire time we've been recording today i've been playing with a paperclip. clip um i yeah. feel like a ring box would make me a lot more satisfied
1: <laughs> hear that seth yeah, <laughs> yeah. um Chuck puts the ring box away and then hangs up on Morgan because he sees Pierre approaching Sarah. Also, while this is happening, Sarah's being, like, photographed by some shadowy figure Mm -hmm. in the the bushes.
0: Yep. So Chuck watches Sarah hand the package to Pierre, and everything seems to go quite well. He tells her to meet him on the balcony to celebrate, but we see that someone is continuing to take covert pictures of Sarah doing the drop. I don't know what that's all about, but it is kind of suspicious. At the Bymore, Lester is meeting up with Jinsana for a second time. It seems like it's going to be a sweet moment where he says he's going to introduce her to the real him and I was kind of lulled into a false sense of security that maybe things would go well and uh, Jeff and Lester wouldn't be weird. Jinsana offers to get a drink with Lester but he takes the moment to burst into a Jeffster performance. Wow, it's been a while (laughs) since we got one of those. No. He sings White Snake's Is This Love in a leather bodysuit while Chuck gives himself a pep top to quell proposal anxieties. As all that's going on, Pierre shows up with a guard and puts Chuck in a stranglehold. Apparently, um, Pierre knew that they were trying to double-cross him. Fortunately, Chuck is able to flash and knock Pierre and the guard out, so he radios Morgan to say the proposal is back on. Lester finishes his performance in the Bymore and heads over to Jinsana. She says, Lester, that was the most uncomfortable five minutes of my life. Honestly, mine too, because I thought the episode was almost over at this point and then realized it had over ten minutes to go. Lester says he wants to get married, and Giantsana says, try the internet, and storms off. And I say, good for her. She deserves so much better. (laughs) Meanwhile, Casey finds Morgan conducting a mission in Castle and realizes what must be happening in France, re the proposal, so he joins the sub-mission. He and Morgan talk Sarah through her butterflies to get her up to the balcony. They notice Chuck dropped the ring during his fight, so they tell Sarah to scoop it up and covertly return it to Chuck's pocket, which she does. She tells Chuck they've never been somewhere this beautiful, and Chuck says, I have, and proceeds to tell her that everywhere he goes with her is beautiful because she's there. It's a nice moment, and he takes out the ring to propose, but right before he actually says the words, lights come on and, like, a SWAT team shows up and arrests Sarah for treason. What?
1: What What is going on? What is
0: going on? Did you know what was going on? Because I, I started to have an inkling of what was going on at this point.
1: Uh, No, I was completely blindsided by (laughs) this, which I will continue to say for the remainder of this episode.
0: Okay, good to know. Back in Castle, Sarah is locked in a holding cell while Chuck freaks out to Casey. He admits he was in the middle of proposing, and Casey takes the moment to light up a cigar and recount (laughs) his proposal story to Alex's mom. God, that must smell awful. <laughs> the story is nice, though. Casey says he intended to propose to Kathleen at Niagara Falls, but things went wrong, and he ended up proposing in a Buffalo bus station. That made me flashback to the time I was in a Buffalo airport for 12 hours, but I still uh, thought it was a nice story. Ultimately, Casey says there's no perfect spot or moment. All you need is the girl.
1: Uh, and then we have a declassified scene. Oh! Where Beckman walks into the holding cell where they're okay. keeping Sarah. Mm-hmm. And Sarah flips the fuck out. (laughs) She says that she was not committing treason. She was following orders that Beckman herself gave her. Sarah says that she would never, like, betray the CIA. Beckman knows this, and she knows that Sarah's obviously not a traitor. She reminds Sarah that earlier, Sarah told her that she'd do anything to take down Alexei Volkov. And Beckman is taking her up on that offer.
0: So, like, it kind of feels like that scene is a little bit important for those people watching who are confused. Um... (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, it was, yeah.
0: I, so at this point, I did remember, like, what was going on and why um, why this was happening. So I was not, like, I did not need that scene, but I feel like it's kind of important and maybe should have been in there. Maybe they shouldn't have cut that one. Maybe they could have cut some of the uh, gesture performance.
1: Maybe. I mean, it kind of did, not having it led to more suspense, That's I guess. Mm-hmm. But it also kind of makes it a little bit easier because you're like, what... What's going on? Like, what's happening with Beckman? Is Beckman, like, working for Volkov? Yeah. So all of that would have probably helped clear it up. So I don't know why they, they cut that
0: out. Yeah. Unclear. So Chuck rushes to Sarah's cell, which Beckman is just coming out of, apparently having just had the conversation that happened in the declassified scene. Beckman lets Chuck go in, so he gets down on one knee and is about to propose. When Sarah says she's leaving... Apparently Beckman never thought she was a traitor at all, they're just establishing Sarah's cover as a double agent so she can go undercover as a spy in Volkoff Industries. Chuck is understandably upset by this, since that's exactly how he lost his mom, but Sarah says she's going to take Volkov down and get Mary back. Just to do that, she's going to have to go back to being the old Sarah for a bit. Chuck is pretty devastated as Beckman leads Sarah away in chains, and that's where the episode ends.
1: Not down the aisle, but down death row. <laughs> I mean,
0: I don't- I don't I don't think they're planning to kill her, Chris.
1: Down the green mile, right to the electric chair.
0: Off the balcony and into the abyss.
1: Not the uh, interpretation that you had of that episode that was uh Chuck versus the proposal. I just have to say that
0: Excuse me, excuse me, Chuck versus the balcony, Chris.
1: Oh, excuse me. I I did not mean to say that. It was Chuck versus Brain the Corian Slip.
0: Are you do you have do you have proposals on the brand, Chris?
1: I do not. Um, but okay, what great. I was going to say was that I was so stupid and was so, like, lulled into the false sense of security about everything going well that I thought that the person taking photos of Sarah at that time was, like, a, a wedding photographer that Beckman <laughs> yeah. hired to, like, <laughs> commemorate, the pr-
0: commemorate the proposal. <laughs> that would be really sweet.
1: <laughs> but no, instead Beckman's got to be all, I'm going to send you to Russia, you know, kind of want-want.
0: Speaking of proposals.
1: Yes, Aaron. Speaking of proposals. We uh, propose to something every week here at Go Check Yourself as part of Chuck Marry Kill. Um, Aaron, what is one part of this episode that you would like to marry?
0: So I really, really liked Casey's proposal story. I thought it oh, yeah. was a genuinely sweet uh, moment with the character Casey. I also thought it was a genuinely nice story. I think that um, I have not proposed to anyone, nor have I been proposed to, but I feel like that Was an important lesson that Chuck really needed to learn that he's trying to make everything so perfect and not really paying attention to the most important fact, which is that a proposal is about him and his significant other. And it does not have to involve all the uh, various trappings of a classic Hollywood proposal. It just has Mm -hmm. to be special for them.
1: His story kind of made me think about. I don't know, maybe because it was just like Niagara Falls and proposals and wedding, but it made me think of like in the office of oh, like Jesus Jim and Pam's proposal,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because yep. like that is
0: that uh, does <laughs> does involve Niagara Falls,
1: and but then they get proposed, they do the the proposal at like a bus stop or like a, a rest stop on off of the highway. That's the true. Ramp. They also
0: do that. Great. You,
1: see, you seem really disappointed.
0: Just thinking. Just, I thought we could get through one fucking episode without talking about The Office. <laughs> We've never talked about The Office.
1: <laughs> In fact, it's kind of jarring. It's impressive that we made it through almost halfway into season four out of a se- a five season series that took place on NBC <laughs> without mentioning the other most popular show <sighs> on NBC at this time, which was The Office. What, is that
0: was The Office airing at the same time as Chuck? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely. That's really crazy to think about one went on to be uh, in syndication and talked about on Tinder profiles throughout the universe, and uh, one just is a podcast. That you know, That's funny, yeah. Oh my God, if I saw someone talking about Chuck on Tinder, I would have, uh, it would have been exciting, I guess. That's all.
1: Where did we leave
0: off? <laughs> uh, what would your marry be, Chris?
1: Um, I would like to marry the twist. I uh, ah. I was fully ready for the proposal, and I was mm-hmm. happy. I was very happy and I did not see it coming at all. And I was crushed. I was,
0: um, I was not uh, not happy with that proposal. I did not think it was Um. special to Chuck and Sarah's relationship. I think that they should get they should have their proposal on the beach where they had their first conversation. And I will uh, accept nothing less.
1: OK, um, but yeah. Mary,
0: good on you. <laughs> you can have it.
1: <laughs> okay, so don't marry the the twist or the proposal. Don't talk about the office. There's Aaron, a lot of what rules. Else, what else would you like to strike from existence with this week's kill?
0: So, um, I was not really a big fan of the Jeffster performance. Um, it could be that I don't know and/or particularly like that particular White Snake song, but I thought that um, we haven't had a Jeffster performance in a while. So on the one hand, like. I guess it makes sense for one to show up, but it just felt like it kind of was distracting from a lot of the excitement of the episode, a lot of the romance of the episode. I also didn't really care for the Jinsana plotline. I thought it was questionable that the show's only Indian character immediately has, like, trouble with an arranged marriage that felt very, like, typical and not necessarily handled very, uh, sensitively. Um, also, all of the things around that, including, like, um, Lester's other women that were apparently just in the store at the same time, like he could just easily go find, them. I don't really know what was going on but that wasn't handled very well um, a lot of the cultural depictions played for laps were a little bit questionable um, so all of that uh, not not great but I'll, if I have to pick one thing I feel like the, the Jeffster performance uh, was not doing it for me
1: yeah, uh, I'm glad that you are uh, coming around on not necessarily enjoying Jeffster. You don't seem like you were too excited by this if performance. If they play a song
0: I liked, maybe I would like them. But if they play a song that I don't like, then no Jeffster. Out of there.
1: Your kill was much more thoughtful and <sighs> relevant than mine. I was just really, I thought it was a missed opportunity that no one, nobody drank the wine. Just get that chip inside of you, you know?
0: that's Yep, get that chip inside of you. That's what I say um, when I buy a packet of uh, Tostitos. To
1: get that chip inside of you. Yep.
0: Get that chip inside you. I say that to myself because I'm like, gotta eat them. Gotta get them. Get
1: that chip inside of you. Something else that we eat. Corn dogs.
0: Ah, yes, we do.
1: And uh, corn dogs make up the foundation of the scooter scale, which is the next segment of our show where we Ooh. rate this episode on a scale of 0 to 5 corn dogs. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give this episode?
0: I'm going to give this episode a solid 3.
1: Solid three.
0: I felt that I enjoyed the episode as a whole. I like, um, I continue to be impressed by the fact that although they probably have the least money that they've ever had and the most episodes that they've ever had, they are continuing to have jet-setting locations. And even if sometimes that leads to humor, when we uh, tongue-in-cheek reference the very real Parisian uh, French countryside views um it was like cool to mix things up and have Chuck and sarah in a different location i thought all of the proposal things um were cute if a little annoying um just the idea that chuck is i guess it's typical of chuck that he gets caught up in this like grander idea both of like spy things and of Rome, where he's like i have to do things this like certain way when ultimately as casey says it is just about him and sarah and what's special to them i also liked the twist i thought it was setting up something interesting interesting parallels between sarah and mary which as we all know feeds into chuck's oedipal complex um just throwing that out there um i think that it lost i'm docking points for the whole Jinsana plotline i thought that um I would be interested. We haven't really seen a romance plotline with Lester or Jeff, and I think it could be kind of interesting to see that. Um, But the show seems most interested in playing them for laughs and playing any romances as, like, just them being creepy, um, which I guess is fair, but oftentimes it comes off as, at best, dated, and at worst, like, still actively offensive. So... um, (laughs) Barely middle of the road for me, but I did have a good time watching it.
1: Yeah, I kind of I I think with the whole Lester, like I think that's that's an interesting thing, because I was kind of like when it was starting out, I was like, oh, this is weird that we kind of have like a Lester personal problem that uh, doesn't really involve Jeff. It's not like them as a unit. Yeah. It's just him. Yeah. Um, And I was like, do I want him to be like, have this work out for him or for him to be successful? But then you're also like, no, I don't. Yeah. So you never are really rooting for him. You're always just rooting against him. Yeah. It's just kind of this weird kind of awkward.
0: Because, like, it could be sweet. Like, it could be if it if it did not involve, like, him disparaging, like, the other women that he's dating and all of those things. Like, it could be kind of a sweet moment. And we see, like, a different side of Lester. And then, I mean, he could even still mess it up by singing a song and scaring her off. But, like, Mm -hmm there is a world in which this could be like a sweet moment where we are rooting for him, but it did not seem like they were very interested in that, which for me was a bummer.
1: He would kind of necessitate kind of like the same kind of transformation that Morgan has had yes, over the yeah. series where he goes from like the, the punchline kind of creepy yeah. joke mm. kind of guy to now where Morgan's like a serious, more serious character yeah. who's more mainstream. Yeah. But- this
0: very much seems like a plot that they could have had for Morgan in like an earlier, like his mom is setting him up with someone or like something like that.
1: I did think I thought it was interesting because I didn't realize that Vic Sahe was actually Canadian.
0: Yes, he is. I, I knew that. I don't know why I knew oh. that,
1: but I just didn't know it. So yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. That is cool. Um, so I, I agree with everything that you've said, although I am going to give this a five out of five. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just feeling the love this week, but I it think really is
0: the season of Chris.
1: I just have to give this this episode a full score. That's incredible. This was a fun episode. I appreciated the proposal. That that was the main focus of the mm-hmm. episode. And I enjoyed how they the set the stage for that up with the mission to France. The mission itself wasn't really that important. Uh-huh. And I feel like it never was really pretended not to be. Yeah. It's kind of a more lightweight, fun, wine kind of mission. Um, I was very emotionally invested when the proposal was about to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I was completely blindsided when the SWAT team jumped out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was equally emotionally invested when Chuck tries to propose again in the holding cell. Uh, but then sarah's taken away Mm -hmm. um i went from almost getting choked up out of happiness to almost getting choked up out of disappointment
0: uh
1: and so i that was my experience uh i'm glad that jinsana dumped lester's sorry ass after seeing jeffster i was concerned for a moment in the home theater room that whatever he was doing was actually working for her but it obviously wasn't um so yeah it was just one of those episodes where i was like man I can't wait to, to see the next the next episode. I got to know what happens. What's going on? You guys, you got me. Yep. You got me, Chuck team.
0: So while we wait for the next episode to air, we could talk about our lesson of the week. What did you learn this week, Chris?
1: This week, Aaron, I learned that if you're looking for the 1986 Chateau Lefranc, it's the peppery pinot with the stable on the label and the stork on the cork. Not to be confused with the Bordeaux burgundy with the coil on the foil and the fork on the cork.
0: Oh my God, that was incredible.
1: Landed, combo landed. New high score. <laughs> Aaron. what did you learn?
0: I learned what I do and don't want from a proposal. Okay. Um, I didn't elaborate on that, but uh, what I... I just think Casey's thing... Casey's monologue really spoke to me. I think that it's important to uh, pay attention to what you and your partner view as special and what is um, something that is important to you both as opposed to, like, the perfect proposal location. Um, because you are making a memory as opposed to fitting yourselves into one. So
1: wow, yeah, that was really profound, Erin. Well, that's
0: what I learned from this episode.
1: Wow, beautiful. Thank you. Simply beautiful. Wow. Would you like to hear an encore of my my new hit single of "It's Chuck Time, Prince"? Yeah, I would love that.
0: Please play us out.
1: It's Chuck Time all around the world. Chuck Time for all the boys and girls. Chuck Time. <laughs> Oh, I was, Aaron was feeling it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, that was a a uh, emotionally draining episode of Chuck.
0: That's true. In more
1: ways than one. But it was a fun episode yes, to talk it was about. Great. I'm glad that we did this. Aaron. thank you for for being here. <laughs> You're
0: <laughs> I welcome. Always like,
1: I always like thanking you for being here because it makes you uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and with that being said, my name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food is sexy.
0: Especially wine, which is a food. Uh, my name is Ertorado, letting you know that anything is possible. And also, uh, proposals. Good. Do them. <laughs> Get proposals engaged good. right now. <laughs> Everyone. We're running out but of doesn't... time.
1: <laughs> Turn to the nearest person. It doesn't matter if you know them. It doesn't matter if they're a stranger. It doesn't matter if, they're, if you're interested in them, if you're attracted to them, if they're your the the sex or gender kind of person that you're attracted to doesn't matter propose to them right now say that
0: i i told you to aaron said it's okay
1: aaron said it's okay they'll be like got it uh run down to your newest courthouse (laughs) there's gonna be a huge line because once again (laughs) everyone is getting proposed uh and then wait in line six feet apart though of course yes yeah yeah and then once you get into the courthouse you will be legally wed and ready to start your new life together as two strangers who have been legally combined in the eyes of the law
0: perfect That's uh, the future that I I want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the future that you will have. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to go check yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.